talk with friends, leaders in the community, and other great conversationalists about politics, wellness, and activism. In this episode, I am pleased to uh, be interviewing Turnell Bush, who is running for the state Senate seat, and he is primarying, actually, the state Senate seat, the current challenger um, or current incumbent, which is Joan Hartley. So um, welcome, Charnell. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just uh, recuperating from a long week. Um, you know, I work at a high school and, you know, I'm a foster parent to my niece and a girls basketball coach. So there's a lot of things happening at once, but it was nice to sleep in. <laughs> Yeah, I, listen, I thought I was going to sleep in, but uh, Preston was like, nope, it's time to get up. So um, I'm glad someone got extra rest. <laughs> Enough for the both of us. Right. So, Charnel, I like to welcome everyone to Coffee and Combos by asking, like, are you a coffee person? Are you a tea person? Like, what is your favorite cup? I am a coffee person. And at this point, it's not by choice. I think it's just a routine thing. <laughs> Iced coffee specifically. Okay, so ice. Okay, so like pumpkin spice. Like, what is like your perfect cup that is going to make your day fantastic? So I'm not. I would not argue that I'm as basic as a pumpkin spice iced <laughs> coffee, but I do drink it. Um, I have a very weird uh, coffee order, and I'm a Dunkin' drinker because Dunkin's cheaper than Starbucks. Let's just be real. <laughs> um, but there used to be a blueberry crisp uh, coffee at Dunkin'. And one day they told me they didn't have it anymore, which isn't true, right? They just mix things together. So I just asked what went in it. And so it is a medium iced coffee with a blueberry flavor shot and caramel swirl, two skim, one splenda. That is my coffee order. And it's my that is, coffee. That is very specific. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab at it because you know, if you for those who are listening, know that I believe that our coffee order or our tea order is close to our personality. So would you say that you're a bit eclectic, a bit different, a bit out of the box, like your coffee order? I would say that. I wouldn't argue that. <laughs> well, and I, I think that that's a wonderful thing because, um, so listeners, we just came off of an election cycle and pretty much no change. Um, campaigning went very typical. Questions were really typical. It was very typical. And even though it wasn't typical, there is a call for something or someone different. And I'm really interested to pick your brain about what are you hoping to bring different than um, the current elected official? So I guess we'll jump in there. Like, you know, what, what do you what do you think makes you too different? You know, this is the question I've gotten the most from people when I, I tell them I'm running against uh, against our current state senator. And it's a harder question to answer because um, a lot of times in politics, when you contrast yourself to someone, it's viewed as an affront or an attack or mm -hmm. whatever. And when I'm just trying to be as honest as possible, um, which I always try to be. And so I think the, thing, the first thing that makes us different um, in, is honestly our politics. I think that it's very clear that, you know, I'm very pro-people and pro-community. Um, I'm all about protecting workers, making sure they're compensated fairly, respected, mm -hmm. uh, making sure their benefits are up to par, making sure that their work environments are safe. I'm all about making sure there's equity in education. Um, no matter where you come from or where you live, your zip code or who your parents are, I'm all about making sure that people have adequate housing that's safe, affordable, and dignified. Mm -hmm. um, and I can say those things as a contrast, and it's only because I can only infer who my opponent is by her voting record. 
and those things don't seem to be reflected in her votes. Um, I would argue that the, the other difference is that I'm a bit younger than she is. Um, I've had very similar life experiences to a lot of people in the community, whereas I've navigated homelessness, poverty for the majority of my life. I'm still cash poor. No one's rich over here. I wish. Uh, <laughs> um, if only. If only, right? But no, I, I would just argue that my I've had my ear to the heart of the people for a long time. And I've been in Waterbury for almost 22 years now. And the conversations that all of us poor folk have been having, all of us who feel marginalized have been having, have not changed. Mm -hmm. um, I think our elected officials would love to tell us, if you listen to them, that things are on the up and up and things are on an upward swing. And Liz, you and I actually had the, the pleasure of canvassing together for a friend's campaign. Mm -hmm. And we were seeing, walking down the streets, that no, a lot of folks are on a downward swing mm -hmm. or stagnant and aren't able to climb up. So I just think we need new perspectives. I think we need a, a kind of fresh blood, um, a new rejuvenation of ideas, people who are looking to be collaborative, people who are looking to actually put forth legislation that's going to shake things up for people and empower them. And I think I can do that. So many wonderful things that you, you brought up that I want to hit on. And first, I'm going to go back to where you said you are pro-people. And I like that language because often when people are talking about bills that are quote unquote pro-people, whether it's from an equity lens, a housing lens, um, they slap this label of liberal on it. And I think that becomes too polarizing and people say, well, I, I don't consider myself a liberal voter, so this is not my issue. But it really is a people issue, so I love that language. Oh yeah, I think, I think it's really easy um, to fall in line with labels. And like, obviously I'm running mm -hmm. as a Democrat, that's not a secret. Um, mm -hmm. So I am what people would call a liberal, um, mm -hmm. but people are people. And I'm of the sort, I grew up in church, I'm a church boy, it's all I knew for a long time, that and basketball. Um, and for me, it, for how I was raised and how I was led to believe is that you didn't have to believe like me for me to wanna help you, for mm. me to make sure that you're all together and to make sure that you and your loved ones are all right. You can disagree with me in, in every way possible, but I doesn't mean I don't want the best for you. And so when I say I'm pro-people, I am pro-liberal people, pro-conservative people, in making sure that you are recognized, respected, protected, secure, and all the things that allow you to move through life well. So like that's where I land. I don't think you should put a label on things because then you start politicking and then only the people without the power lose, and it's not fair. Absolutely. And, and I think we do get caught up in the cycle of politicking and it becomes a Democrat versus Republican or versus an independent or versus this. And and I think I like the shift in society of no one really is caring so much about the labor labels. They're caring about the issues because it seems like only the people at the top are receiving the benefits, the growth. And everyone at the bottom, like you talked about, like kind of like this haves versus the have nots. And for those who have not had wealth and opportunity, nothing's changed for the better. For those that live in areas that, you know, are quote unquote better off or have a little bit more um, income or wealth or whatever label, they seem to say, yeah, everything's changing, everything's great. And again, that trickle down effect to those that are really in need never get the benefit of change. 
I, you know, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I know he's a volatile character right now, but he used to be my favorite rapper. Kanye West um, has, a, has a line in his song, Good Life, that says, having money is not everything, not having it is. And yes. it talks about how when you have the money, it's so easy to make decisions that are so flippant. And we talk about how our state mm-hmm. Senate and representative seats are usually people who are independently wealthy or self-employed mm-hmm. and because they have the time and energy and money and they don't need, you know, to be at work for eight to 10 hours a day or they have a lot of flexibility. And so we have these people who are secure in so many aspects of their life, then looking down at us, maybe not looking down condescendingly, but looking down upon us maybe and mm-hmm. looking at our life experiences and then legislating them with no connection to those experiences whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have those connections to those experiences, if you don't have people who, are, who have been impoverished or homeless in a room when you're legislating poverty and homelessness, do you really know what the on-the-ground effect looks like? If you're legislating things like jobs and sick mm-hmm. leave and family leave, but you're independently wealthy, if you've got millions in the bank and no one in, no one in that room has experienced not having enough, like, do you understand what you're legislating and the answer usually is no is that you have this very cerebral understanding you've read it on a piece of paper you learned about it in a book someone told you about it so you have an initial feeling about it but you don't have any empathy towards that situation what a lot of politicians have is sympathy i feel bad Mm -hmm. but i don't feel what you feel Mm. and so we need people who are going to feel what the people are going to feel when these policies hurt them or when they empower them Right. Like I can say that if you give people a fair working wage, that it gives them the opportunity to pay more bills, work less jobs, spend more time with their families. As for me, right, my sister, who she had passed away earlier this year, was working three to four jobs at a time. And I was Mm -hmm. a super uncle who showed up and babysat and spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time with my niece. But my sister wasn't. And so Mm -hmm. like but if my niece had turned out to be a bit troublesome, they would blame my sister for not being a present parent. You know, yes. so it's so we there's a everything has a consequence and there are no accidents. I think we all know what fallout of policy looks like. I think that we all not all of us, but people in power to us decide that it's not enough that they should care about it yet. You know, so it's it's a bit frustrating and a bit long winded on my end, but it's <laughs> but it's no, where no. I all good stuff and and I think that is such a key thing that you you said. You said legislators with no connection to these experiences are making these judgment, these these bills, these laws, in essence, um, that affect people that they they have no idea what it is to to be in those situations. And I think the issue is not that they shouldn't have an, a thought and idea, but you have the luxury of saying, well, if you try hard, right? Those cliche things we hear said about people that are not in power. Well, if you try hard, you'll succeed. If you were present, your kids wouldn't be that way. We wouldn't have the crime that we have. The city wouldn't be dirty, right? We do all these cliche things from a, a point of privilege, not really realizing that when you are in a place of desperation, your options are very slim. And what matters to you is very different. And, and we're never really talking about that. We're always coming from a point of being condescending to people who are not in a position of power based on their decisions that they made in their place of crisis. Right. No, you're, you're, and you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm of the mindset or of the ilk. I don't know if that's a proper word to use, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
um, that really it's it's up to our elected officials. If you are so audacious, and I'm I'm, I'm lumping myself into this, right? If you're mm-hmm. so audacious to say that I think I could represent folks, I think that I would love to carry people's voices to to whatever chamber I'm going to, then it is the onus is then on us, mm-hmm. right? To connect with people, to sit with the people who have these experiences, to go to the people who are who are doing the work in these communities to shift narratives and to shift um, trajectories in the lives of, of young folks, of their families, of our seniors, and to collaborate. How can I build around you? What can I do to help you? Who can I connect you to? Mm-hmm. It's our job to do that. So that way when policies come across you know, our desks or are being argued and debated in chamber, we have a more nuanced, empathetic, compassionate approach to how we make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if we just show up and kind of tap people on the head, say, good job for caring about the places that I say I do, then mm-hmm. it's not the same. Like you having evidence that you were somewhere is not evidence of work. Yeah. Right. So. I, I think sometimes our politicians fall in line with, hey, look, my face was here. It looks like you right. need service. And you just need to get your hands dirty. I um, told you I'm a church boy, and then I'll shut up. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm a church boy. And there's there's a Bible verse. It's from, from the prophet Paul. And I hate to be churchy, but I don't. that's not true either. I don't hate to be churchy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it says, you know, to the weak, I become weak so that I might win the weak. I become yeah. all things to all men that by all means I might save some. And what I read that as in the view of public service is that to get in with people, you got to fit in with people. You've got to go to where they are and meet them where they are and hear from them, learn from them and learn about them. And when you have that information, you use all the tools at your disposal to make sure they're taken care of. And it doesn't, and the Bible doesn't say that we win all of them. It says to, that I might win some. Right, if I can get a good amount of them taken care of at first, right, you keep going, you don't stop, mm-hmm. and so I think that is the that is the the mindset and the motivation we should have is that we should always be within our communities, hearing from them, learning from them, and then carrying that with us to the capital, and not our own ideals and our own agendas and our own intentions, and it should or the be the party's intentions or the party's agenda. Right, absolutely, it should be what's going to be the best for the people that I promised I would fight for. You know, and if you don't do that, then I think it's high time for change to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you talk about all that and, you know, I think about when you started off talking about your life experiences and that has, in essence, shaped you to have a heart for the people because you know how hard and the intricate details of being in, in those places, right? There are things, we, we do policies about homelessness or about poverty or about employment, but if you have not been in that place, there are these fine details and these emotional things that we overlook because we just don't have that life experience. And I think it's so valuable. We often talk about you can be anything, you can do anything, but if we don't allow people to occupy these spaces, then it becomes lip service. And in you running and talking about your experiences, it really helped me to um, see the value of having people, all different people in experiences uh, and places of power or whatever, because I can believe in my neighbors, I can believe in my clients, I can believe in, in the kids in my neighborhood. But if they don't see someone in these positions that have been through similar things, 
my belief doesn't mean anything because it just is like, well, I, I, some people don't believe they could be the first. And so I think it is so valuable that you quote unquote, we always talk about permission in the political arena, but you have not waited for permission. You said, yeah, I have these life experiences and I have this passion and I'm going to do this. I'm not going to wait for someone to tell me it's my turn. I'm not going to wait for someone else to be the first. I am going to take this up. And I, I think there's value in that. Absolutely. And I think that, and in, in, in Liz, you, you are, I would argue, more versed in this and in, in how things move politically. Um, but we can't wait, right? Like mm-hmm. there, there's way too much at stake. Um, and I would argue to anyone who's listening and to our young folks and our families, there's way too much in each of us mm-hmm. to wait for someone to deem us worthy, mm-hmm. right? To say, okay, now we're allowing you to. Mm-hmm. Right, so we need to make decisions that are the best for us and the people that we care about, and the people that we love. And if we leave those decisions to represent ourselves, right, our communities should, our representatives should feel and look like our communities. I, I argue that at least. And so, if we're waiting for people in power to give up power mm-hmm. <laughs> to other people, because we'll be that's really what's happening. Time. Like, speak on it. That's what. That's really what we're saying. We're waiting for people in power to say, "I don't want this anymore." For someone else new to come in. But that's yeah. And the truth is that. No one in power is ever going to say that wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Wise would say power isn't equitable, right? It's not something that is just going to be shared without demand, right? Mm-hmm. And so what needs to happen is you need to have someone in there who understands the power of influence, the power of policy, the power of lawmaking, mm-hmm. and who already has that collaborative spirit, who already has a community spirit mm-hmm. and knows what speaking truth to power looks like and looks what speaking for a community looks like. And so that way, when they get into those halls of influence, they're bringing all of that with them. It's not a, I made it. It's not, you know, I'm going to do these things. I have this prestige of being a legislator. It's that we have made it. We have a place at the table now. We are making these decisions together, right? And so if we're leaving it up to the people who have been there for 30, 40 years, there is a reason people are in office for 30, 40 years. It is not because they think they're doing a great job. People might be telling them, yeah, good job, thumbs up. But the truth is, if you stay in elected office for more than 30 years, there is something that you are getting from it that isn't just a public service piece, right? So mm-hmm. there has to be, we all, all politicians say this, there is a bit of ego in running mm-hmm. for office and you have to believe in yourself a bit. Mm-hmm. And the truth, the, the key to that is making sure that the people around you are able to hold you accountable in case that ego grows too big. And what ends up happening with our elected officials is that they insulate themselves from people who hold them accountable. Um, I made a comment on 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 WATR about, you know, how elected officials serve at the consent of the governed. And they do, right? Mm -hmm. We, We elect people and they go there because we put them there. But what happens when that consent is coerced? If we're not sure of who you are or we've been misled to believe who you are, or we've been kept in the dark about who you are. And so we continue to make a decision to put you there with the belief that you're doing what's right, but you're not, right? And so absolutely. So what we need to make sure we're doing, when we have people, again, who are community-minded, they are open to correction, they are open to critique, they're open to collaboration, they're open to problem-solving and working together, right? And mm-hmm. so 
you go to the Hartford, you go to the Capitol, and you come back to your community and you make yourself available. Mm-hmm. Saying this is, these are the things that are happening on the Hill or wherever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. And these are the decisions I have in front of me. How do you feel about this? Those conversations don't happen with us in Waterbury. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> so, like, how do we know? How can we hold you accountable if we don't know what's happening until after it's happened? Mm. That That is a word. And I think that that's a whole other episode about political apathy and <laughs> engagement. <laughs> so I'm like, do I want to get in that rabbit hole? But, you know... It, it's interesting the politics of of Connecticut, specifically of Waterbury, because so I'm looking at um, the at ba- ballot media, and so 2020 uh, Senator Hartley went unchallenged. She got 100 percent of the votes, and 2018 she had an independent challenger, no Republican. Um, 2016 she had an independent challenger, no re- uh, Republican. The last time she had a, we'll say, major party challenger was in 2014. Um, And I think there's just something about people and just not being engaged. And what I mean by that, I don't think it has to do with people and their engagement as they're too busy. But we don't often have a candidate that reflects us and our views. It's always between this conservative politician and this conservative politician. And I like that a lot of your ideas are different. So that way the voter is able to say, okay, what do I want? And we often don't have that in the political arena, especially um, locally. A hundred percent. And so I'm of the the mindset that everyone should be primary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is like, it's, it's, it's where I am, where everyone should be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Right. If people truly believe in you, you'll stay in power. Right. You'll stay mm-hmm. in your seat. You'll stay our representative. But people should always have a choice. Mm-hmm. And it reflects back to what I was saying about coercion. Right. People should be able to know who they're voting for and know about you mm-hmm. before they're faced with your name on a ballot. Right. It's up to our elected officials to make themselves known to us. You don't, mm-hmm. it's not a, yes, there is a responsibility to do your research, but what happens when you do your research and you can't find out anything, mm-hmm. you, know? <laughs> you know, like how do I, or the things that you find are concerning, but they don't seem to be concerning to the people who are endorsing them. Ooh, right. Yes. And so like, these are the things that people are recognizing now and people are looking at, I mean, we have news articles going almost every day about, you know, things happening here and people making questionable decisions here and, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like those in the insulated power circle don't mind that. Mm-hmm. So I just say that primaries are important because, one, it gives people an opportunity to choose, right? We're in a party-dominant area, right? Democrats mm-hmm. tend to be the, the, the power brokers here a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's an opportunity to contrast between two people who a lot of folks might assume have similar values, Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, it's that chance to look, let people look like, well, if I have these two choices, and if I want someone who I believe is going to fight for, for my instance, like, right, affordable housing, mm-hmm. and this person is speaking on that, and this person doesn't have a record or any record of speaking on that, I can make, a, I can put a tally over there, right? You can yeah. be able to make these informed and educated choices, and it also forces each candidate to be forthcoming with who they are as possible right and so 
that is the power Absolutely. of the voter in a primary is that you can grind on each of these candidates and force them to tell you about themselves. Or the 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 alternative is that they vote for the other person because <laughs> you won't but share I Absolutely. Um, and, and I love how you me mentioned that is the power of the voter, because, again, um, Connecticut is Democrat heavy, even though, in my opinion, we lean sometimes more Republican on the issues. But for the sake of argument, we are a Democratic state and, and Democrats widely win. Um, and if you look at um, the election, um, even when she has multiple challengers, she draws in an, a lot of votes. And so I like that in the, the sense of a primary and why that is important, because it allows the voter to say, OK, we have two people going for the same seat. So it, it allows you to have a little bit more focus and allow you to do apples to apples versus apples and oranges. And it allows for the challenger and uh, the incumbent to be like, hmm, I need to step up my game. And it allows the, the challenger to have a platform. So um, very excited for your race. Don't want to leave out um, uh, without you having opportunity to say some of the issues that you are passionate about and wish to highlight during this election cycle. Yeah, well, thank you <laughs> for, <laughs> for the space and the time to do that. Um, but I... I want to start and preface everything by saying that these these issues are very personal to me. Right? Mm -hmm. I talk about my own personal experiences, but they're not just mine. Right? They're my loved ones' experiences. They're my friends' experiences. They're my mm -hmm. neighbors' experiences. My community. Uh, I live in the South End. I live in Brooklyn, part of Waterbury, and I've lived either on the hillside neighborhoods or in the South End the entire time I've been here, essentially. Um, and living in these areas, you build community quick. You learn who your neighbors are pretty quickly because everyone's on the move or outside or going to work and you catch people. Not to cut you off, but I want to highlight that yeah. because I hate, 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 hate how here, you know, again, people in office and privilege say that there is no community. But there is no community like the the lower income neighborhoods. And I miss that. I moved to a different area and I don't have that same sense of community because everyone's not outside and everyone's not dependent. I might not have knew everyone's name, but you knew whose kid belonged to who, you yep. knew what was going on with them, and everyone supported everyone. So yes. <laughs> no, it is it's a thing. Every I think we I think we pathologize, not we, but folks. Mm -hmm will pathologize low-income people as these asocial, amoral, mm -hmm. or, or at least morally, spiritually corrupt people as mm -hmm. if they, they can't get it together with us without us putting them together. Yes. And the truth is that poor people, lower-income folks, working-class families depend on each other, right? How often have your friends and family watched your kids while you had to go do things? Or how often mm -hmm. have you borrowed things or invited people over for a cookout? Because you see them every day. Come, mm -hmm. come eat with us. Like, oh, I have this extra coat. Does your kid mm -hmm. need one? Like, those yeah. things happen probably hourly mm -hmm. in the South End, right? Like, I have neighbors mm -hmm. who cook me pernil all the time, and I don't <laughs> ask for it, right? It's like, oh, baby, I saw you the other day. You came home late. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Oh, how sweet. You know? But, yeah, but these things happen. And so when I'm watching these people who have not, a, who don't have a lot, giving what is a lot relatively, right? It says that people want community. They want to care for each other, mm -hmm. but they can't do it alone, right? And so for me, issues like housing, where we see people and families being exploited by these, let's be, let's negligent landlords who are mm -hmm. from out of state, who have been courted 
mm-hmm. being honest, like transparently, by our by our state to have people invest in us, right? They, we mm-hmm. want to. You hear our elected officials in the state level talk all the time about courting people from New York City or from mm-hmm. Boston to come buy a property in Connecticut, have them move things here, right? It's not mm-hmm. always just businesses. It's property owners that come here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they demand rent, but don't keep up properties. We see things in the South End all the time. How many fires have happened in the South End that aren't related mm-hmm. to cooking, mm-hmm. right? Electrical fires, furnaces malfunctioning, things like things happen like this all the time because people aren't keeping up their properties. Uh, people like my sister, I'm going to reference her a lot because I've walked through her entire life with her, basically, right? Yeah. And a woman who had a record, right? She made a mistake when she was 19 years old, was in the car with the wrong people, wrong time, they got caught. And she spent the rest of her life trying to outrun her past and couldn't. Mm. So she's working three or four jobs because she had to check the box. You know yep. how that goes. Yep. And because she couldn't afford much and she's got a felony, and she's got to she's got to apply for housing, and they run those background checks. Oh, yeah, you know, and she's not yep. going to have the best of the best. Yeah, and the way that landlords treat those people who they know have no other choice if they want to mm-hmm. shelter their children, yeah, it's despicable, and they need to be held accountable. And opportunities need to be created for people to move into housing that is safe, that is dignified, where they can be proud of where they live, and not have to fight every day you know, to make themselves feel good about their neighborhoods. I would love to see that happen. I would love to see, we talk about STEM all the time here mm-hmm. in Waterbury, and but there's not much happening in the movement of it. So I would love to see kids get into the sciences, into tech, engineering, and math. I would love to see more kids have opportunities to step into educational, you know, uh, places, you know, as programs in high school and educate them on what education programs look like at the higher education level. And, re- and start training up young, you know, people of color to become teachers of color and come mm-hmm. back. I would love to see those things happen. I would also love to see lower tuition for our state universities. When I went to Central, and it was 2007, when I first went to Central, I wanted—I want to argue that my my tuition was between like 18 and 20 thousand dollars, right? But mm-hmm. let's be realistic about our about our federal aid. It's like about 14 thousand if you qualify for everything. So I didn't have a huge, huge gap, mm-hmm. right? But now Central sure. is $27,000 a year. Yeah. And now that gap is $13,000. Mm-hmm. And that's if, and people say, well, work really hard. I've, I'm a high school, college, and career counselor by profession, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've seen students with 3.7 GPAs still have $10,000 gaps to UConn. So working hard doesn't get you everything you need, right? So we needed to be more accessible so that way people can access the the power, the financial power that is usually stuck behind the college graduation gate and start to uplift themselves out of poverty. So those are things I would love to see kind of come about. I would love to see now that the pandemic has brought up a lot of conversations about workplace protections and safety, mm-hmm. I would love to see standards set, not just about um, like water quality and things like that, but air quality indoors, mm-hmm. right, for people. Like things like that matter to make sure that our workers, our working class families, they can work the one job, right? Without having to sacrifice that time to nurture and love on their kids and spend time and build bonds with their kids. Because only one part of parenting is providing. Mm -hmm. And so many of our low income and working class families have to lean on the one part and hope they have community around them to do the other pieces because they just can't. So I would love to see families grow stronger. I would love to see our seniors taken care of 
mm-hmm. right? So that they can age gracefully in place, right? So they can age with their community. I'm a strong proponent of intergenerational communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the project. So we had, you know, the Mrs. Browns and the Miss Irene's, the <laughs> older women who looked over us and taught us and led us and guided us. They're so important. We all love our grandparents. They are so crucial to steering young people in the right direction. And I believe that they should have a, a place in our community where they're active and where they're where they're valuable, you know, where they're where they're utilized for all the things that they know. And I talk a lot when I like that when I'm really passionate about the things I talk about. But I, I think that's such a beautiful thing. You can hear the passion and, and not you didn't just rest on passion, but you have plans. You know, you want to all these things are interconnected. And one glaring thing to me is, you know, there's always this conversation of money, right? Money, 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 money. But you didn't really talk about programs. You talked about leveraging the assets in community so that communities can be self-sustaining. And that's going to save you from putting thousands and thousands of dollars every year into programs that fail because they don't uplift the community. You talked about just bolstering, you have like some like, okay, we need this in place, you know, for landlords and things, but you really talked about the importance of community and strengthening the community. And I think that that's valuable. Yeah, and I would actually, and what I'll add to that is that there is a power in programming, right? Like I, mm-hmm. like we, you and I both, we're, we're in like somewhat in this human service world and mm-hmm. counseling world. And, mm-hmm. and so there's power in programming. And, mm-hmm. But I'm also a firm believer that communities know what they need. Correct. And instead of making decisions for people in, in the condescending sort of way, we go into a community. And like I mentioned earlier, we go to the people who are already doing the work. Absolutely. There are people that know. Because it's already happening. Right. There are people that know the ebb and flow of their communities. They know they're seeing the trends. They know what the needs are and how they shift daily. Build infrastructure around the groundwork that's already yes. been laid instead of building things off of studies that have been done outside of these communities, Mm -hmm. uh, building programs on, again, these very cerebral, well, these pilots have worked in in New York and in Boston and LA. This is not those places. (laughs) Not at all. And (laughs) so, like, I believe in programming, but I also believe that the money, if we're going to have conversations about money, which people in our area, if we're talking about our Senate and state rep districts, our our local officials, money is such a huge thing primarily because money was being flaunted and and tossed around and moved around illegally way back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. So we're making up for a lot of past mistakes by other elected officials. But the truth is that there is money to, to move. We just need to start prioritizing people. We've seen, we've seen businesses be bolstered by federal dollars that have come in, right? There's still money on the table that hasn't been used. We have people... Um, I can't remember her name on the top of my head, but the director at the Wheeler Clinic talking about the money she would need mm-hmm. to, to adequately address the mental health and addiction issues that, that Connecticut's mm. facing. And I think the number was $460 million. And she was saying that the money that she gets from the state has stagnated. Mm-hmm. It hasn't grown with inflation or anything mm-hmm. over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And so if we have excess money, if we have rainy day funds and things like that, instead of using them to cover up small shortfalls, why don't we actually invest some of that into our people? Why not put that into mental health and addiction programming that we can hire adequate and well-trained qualified staff where we can create those programs, uh, transitional housing for youth who are struggling and can't be placed back at home, 
right? Mm -hmm. we, I have a kid in my school who is an adopted kid who's since moved out of her home because it was unsafe, but DCF can't do anything for her because she's 19. Mm. And no one else can do anything for her because she's not in trouble. Mm -hmm. Like, and so there needs to be these in-between places that fill in the cracks, but these programs can be, can be created and the money can be found as long as you touch base with communities. There are people doing the work, like i.e. me, you, mm -hmm. of our mm -hmm. friends in our community. There are small mm -hmm. little places like the Adoption Assistance Program, as far as like my student was concerned, who are doing the work on a very, a very micro level. But if we are going to talk money, if we're going to talk future, we can't just save money in the, in the chance that something bad happens in the future. We also need to invest money for the, for the hope that something good can happen in the future. Mm -hmm. So like, that's, that's my spiel. I'm done talking about. about <laughs> oh, please do not be a stranger <laughs> to coffee and combos. We, we need like a part two and three. Like there's so many great things to circle back to, but we don't have the time today. No, no. Um, any last words before I ask you my last question? Well, I'll be, I'll be really short. So I'll just say that it has been my this campaign's only been going for about a month now, but it has been one of the one of the blessings of my life to talk to so many different people and hear from so many different people. Uh, again, very pro people. I love to talk. I love community. I love building community, and it has helped me kind of re-see the light mm -hmm. that everyone has kind of had covered for so long yes. uh, by by the weight of the world that's been put on their shoulders. So I'm excited to speak to all of you. Um, I'm excited to meet all of you. I'm going to try my best to meet as many folks as possible and make myself as touchable as possible, you know, at least in a social context, guys. And I would, and I would also ask, invite people to reach out, um, check out my website. I don't know if you're going to ask me to do that later on, but I'll do it now. If you don't mind mm -hmm. me plugging. Um, it's Charnel for CT. My name is spelled C-H-A-R-N-E-I-L for, that's F-O-R-C-T.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charnel for the number CT, um, and just talk to me. I am I am open to have many conversations and any conversations, difficult ones and the fun ones. And absolutely, listeners, if you missed that, it will be in the episode bio. Um, even if you are not in the state or in the area, please reach out. Ask. Um, he's open to questions, feedback. Um, you know, this is about building community, and so um, the information will be available. All right, my last question. I, I asked my listeners and my guests to, um, what are what is in your cup? What are three things that you need to get you through your day and your week? And the reason I do this is it's important to be mindful and say, what do you need, right? What do you need to brighten up your day? What do you need to keep going? And, and for me, um, I'm gonna keep this passion that you have in my in, in my cup because it's important to believe in the community. And, and like you said, sometimes that light can be covered. So I'm adding passion, inspiration, because I need to be inspired, but I also want my cup to overflow and inspire others because that's the only way change happens. And I'm adding leaves because I need to get these leaves mowed or whatever out of my yard, so, <laughs> something practical in my cup. So passion, inspiration, and leaves. Shana, what are you adding to your cup to get you through your day and your week? Oh, man, you took some of, you took some of mine. And um, that's okay. We can have a, a, a similar blend. <laughs> good. So I, I like a good signature blend, so I'll try to make it just one of those things. Um, <laughs> so inspiration. I... 
I love working with teenagers and my favorite population of people to work with because they're really bad at peopling is what I tell them, mm-hmm. but they think they're the best at it. And the mm-hmm. truth is they're right because they, they are learning from us. They're seeing us, but they're also learning from each other and watching the world shift in a way that we can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I'm always inspired by their resilience. Um, and so inspiration is definitely in my cup. Oh man. Uh, something practical would probably be, I would argue, man, Windex or <laughs> <laughs> or Clorox uh, cleaning cleaning spray and wipes because I need to clean my apartment today. My apartment has gone downhill this week, um, so you're that's in my campaign practice. season. <laughs> it's you know it's been fun, and I've got a 14 year old running around my apartment, so you already know what goes on. <laughs> um, nothing but TikToking and dirty dishes, right? Um, <laughs> and the last thing I would say um, that's in my cup that gets me through the week and it feeds me daily is service. Um, mm. My grandma's, my grandma would, would talk about how if you don't treat people well, you won't have any good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that service is a lifestyle. I think it's not something you turn on and off. It's not just when you get your hands dirty and you're planting mm-hmm. trees or cleaning up trash or high-fiving kids on the way to school. I think it's how you move in your communities when no one's looking it's mm-hmm. how you smile at people when you see them at the mailbox. It's how you wave and let people go at the grocery store. Like service is a continuing thing. And I can see the fruits of service daily where I, in the spaces that I'm in, whether it be my own or others. So service is in my cup. So service, Clorox, Windex, and inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Please do not be um, a stranger and um, listeners, please find Coffee and Combos on Facebook, Instagram, and the CoffeeCombosList.com website. So now have a great and wonderful day.